Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. And thank you for joining us. If you are new, glad you found us. If you'd like to learn more, we are at restorationaz.org. This week, Landon Myers dives into week four of our liturgy series. And this week's topic, worship. I am Landon. If uh, it's your first time with us, I get to be uh, one of the team members here, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. And as Nate mentioned earlier, today we're in our uh, fourth week in what we're calling our liturgy series. And liturgy is really kind of just a, a fancy formal word to describe the things that we do together on a Sunday when we gather as the church. And so we sing songs, we, we give, we take communion, we dive into God's word. There, there's a variety of things, a collection of things that we do together uh, based on what God calls us to in the scriptures. And each of them are an invite from God to draw near to himself. And so uh, today our, our topic is going to be on worship. Last week we talked about confession as we continue to just actually ask the question, why do we come together? Why do we gather together on Sunday mornings? I was in uh, Kauai with my, my wife about four years ago, I think, and I've, I've shared this once before, but my kids weren't with us. We were walking along the beach and I'm kind of very addicted to my phone, but I had it in my pocket. I was being good at this moment. And then all of a sudden, I feel the, the little vibrate, so I grab it and look. And as I'm looking at my phone, enjoying the beach, uh, I read the alert, and it says, incoming ballistic missile. It's like, oh, that's new to me. Never got that notification before. Seek shelter immediately. This is not a drill. I'm like, Wow. That's kind of intense. I just put the phone in my pocket and keep walking. And then like three minutes later, I get another one. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe we should do something about that. So I go on Twitter and I'm like trying to research. And then we start to see other people and they're all on their phones. I kid you not, I'm not even exaggerating a tiny bit. Every single female in sight was crying. Like there was not one dry eye. Everyone's kind of starting to freak out. And Chelsea's like, hey, let's go back to the, the hotel. It literally said, this is not a drill. Seek shelter immediately. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is at the time when like North Korea was making kind, all kinds of threats and whatnot. I'm going, if they're going to send some missile, we're toast anyway. And I've not had coffee yet. So <laughs> I, I at least want to have coffee if we're going to watch this thing come our way, we could be in our hotel room without it, or we could have it and still be on the beach. So we went and got coffee. I literally drank out of the, the mug from Kauai yesterday. It says, drink coffee or die. I bought it that morning. I didn't really take that sign very seriously uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Nothing happened. Somehow, 47 minutes later, this is astonishing to me to this day, they sent out another notification and said, oh, that was a mistake. Someone pressed the wrong button. It's like, that is one really significant mistake. I don't know how you mess up that bad, but somebody did. Uh, a couple days later, we were on the, the North Shore there uh, going on a hike. Ben, one of our elders, was joking with me recently. He's like, I'll, I'll know you actually love me when you go on a hike with me. I'm like, yeah, I don't love you that much, Ed. I only do that with my wife. But we were in Kauai, so I was really excited to be on this, this hike with my wife. And we're kind of going through this jungle-like trail. And I hear the, this rhythmic, crushing, uh, enormous sound. And I'm, I'm kind of paying attention to that. But the, the slope we were on was pretty slippery. 
So we continue to walk, and uh, I see this first sign. It's on a white post with a white frame, kind of rusted out with uh, red and black letters. And it says, as we're approaching the ocean, do not swim or you could die. And I'm thinking to myself, like, do people here not know how to swim? Like, swimming's not that hard. I can, I'll be fine. Like, this is weird. We keep walking, and I see another one. And it's like, danger, do not swim. You could die. Like, what is wrong with people here? They live by the ocean. It's, you just go in the water. And then finally, uh, all of my senses kind of collide in this moment where we stepped out of this jungle-like trail, and I'm looking over the cliffs, and that sound of this, this rhythmic, powerful noise is instantly united with what my eyes see as these massive waves. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I was measuring this week, and they were way taller, because I was looking at the uh, statistics of what those waves were that day, way taller than this building. And so I'm, I'm hearing this thunderous noise of these massive waves. I'm looking over this cliff from a far distance and still feeling the spray. And for the first moment in in my life, after I read that sign, I was like, oh my goodness, like that sign shouldn't say you could die. Like I would die. I've never seen anything that powerful. But it was interesting to me how I get a incoming ballistic missile, seek shelter immediately, notification. I didn't take that seriously. But when I saw the power of these waves, you couldn't not take it seriously. It just demanded a weight and a significance. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 2, we actually read this this week. God actually provides a sign. He, he, he says, caution and beware to the Israelites. He saved them out of the, the land of Egypt from abuse and slavery. He's providing a new land and way of life to them. And he starts instructions for how to live with these words that we read last week. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He always starts by reminding them who they were and, and where they were and who he is and what he's doing. Then in verse three, do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. <clears throat> Worship is, is what we're going to spend time talking about today. And worship is powerful. Way, way more powerful than, than we can ever grasp. And what God was communicating to the nation of Israel that 100% still applies to us today is this massive caution sign saying, beware of what you worship. You will worship something. And it will have significant implications in your life. That's chapter 20 in verse Exodus, or in uh, the book of Exodus. The, the next 10 chapters, so a, a significant chunk of time, if you will, is spent with uh, Moses on Mount Sinai receiving instructions from God on what life should look like as a new nation, as a family in this new land that God had provided for them. <laughs> It talks about a little bit of everything, how to treat the foreigner, what foods to eat and avoid, how to treat your neighbors, taxes. And it was a really actually beautiful picture, if you read it, of how to have a good and healthy life. About half of it, though, is all about worship. (coughs) Excuse me. How to worship Yahweh God and ways to avoid worshiping him. All the while, 
Moses is up. The people are down without him, without their leader. He's with God. And then we pick up in chapter 32, uh, reading this account. If you, if you have a Bible, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, his brother, and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Then Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. It did not take very long at all for them, these people of God, who God had said, you are my prized possession, you will be my people, and I will be your God, did not take long for them to forget, to forget their commitment to this God, to forget who they were, slaves, oppressed, to forget who he promised they would become, who he was and what he was about to do for them. It was actually just 40 days. Have you ever experienced something like that in your relationship with God, where things seem to be going good? He does something significant in your life, And about a month later, all of a sudden, you forget. This is a common experience for God's people. How quickly we can become confused. How quickly we can forget everything that our God is doing and the good that he's done. It's interesting, they make this, this idol out of gold in the form of a calf, and a calf was a a picture of the God of fertility and power. And so they were used to being under this God in Egypt because they, they cherished, they longed for, they lived to have both fertility and power. It was needed for life in their time and day. And so they were susceptible to worshiping a God that would provide fertility and power. Here's what's really fascinating about it, though. Do you remember what it said the idol was made out of? Their, their gold earrings, gold gifts they have been given. Well, when God was redeeming them and saving them out of Egypt, he did this one little thing at the very end. He had all of the Egyptians give all of their gold to the people of Israel as they were leaving so that they would have riches going into this new nation. So here's what happened, and here's what we do. Listen to this because it's key. They took the gifts that God had given them. And out of the gifts that God had given them, they formed a new God to worship in his place. God had given them this gold and with that gold, this gift, they made a new God. God has given you and I gifts in the form of our our time, maybe skills and abilities that he's given to you. Networking, the people you know, you didn't have anything to do with where you were born. Resources at your hand. And with that, we often form and fashion different gods to worship using the gifts that he's given us. It makes me think about this question. They were susceptible 
to the, the gods of fertility and power, what are we susceptible to? What type of gods do you pursue? Gods of freedom, of splendor, of, of the riches of this life. There's things in our culture that we can't help but to, to follow. I, I sometimes talk about this, but marketing uh, I find to be very fascinating because it tells us so much about humanity, about culture, about what is appealing to us, about the gods that we might be pursuing. And so I want to thank you so much. I'll show you a couple of slides of, of slogans from a, a variety of different companies. The first is, is Burger King, and it says what? Have it your way. It's subtle. It doesn't mean anything bad, but what is it saying? In essence, you are to be the king of what you want to eat, and you should have it however you want to have it. Uh, DoorDash is, is something new, and it says restaurants and more delivered to your door. Again, here's the communication, and this is not bad. I have nothing against DoorDash. I use it. It's great. But you should be able to get whatever you want, food and more, literally delivered to your door. You don't need to go get it. We like comfort, and we like control. If they're hiring, their slogan is be your own boss. Once again, control. Universities, I find to be intriguing. Stanford says, the wind of freedom blows. The University of Oregon, minds move mountains. The University of Vermont, greatness within our grasp. What can you hold on to? What can you wield? What can you control? Boise State, splendor without end. Think about that. What, what do we desire deeply as a culture? What, what do we work hard for as families and individuals? My guess is if you're honest about it, it has something to do with control and comfort. We don't fashion gods out of gold into the shape of a calf, but we pursue degrees and career paths and positions and to know the right people and live in the right neighborhood and have the right flexibility. Those are gods just the same. They both promise. They both appeal to the same things. And we use the gifts that God has given to fashion new gods to worship in his place. So the question becomes what or who are you worshiping? What or who are you worshiping? Worship becomes a gap that will always get powerfully filled by a powerful God. You don't, you don't get to choose whether or not you worship. The only choice we have is who we will worship. It's a gap that will always be filled by a powerful God. Whether it is Yahweh God, whether it is Jesus or someone else, it will get filled. And so know this. This is the, the caution sign like me walking to the beach. Be aware. Because the God that you fill your worship with, and it will get filled, is going to have massive consequences and influence in your life. We continue to, to read in chapter 32, verses 4 through 8. He took the gold from their hands, gold given from God, 
fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into the image of a calf. Then he said, Israel, this is your God who brought you from the land of Egypt. This is interesting. Very seldom do we just flat out reject God. Some of you have, sometimes we do this. But what we more often like to do is blend our following of Jesus with something else. That's what Aaron does here. This is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. They're getting confused, they're blending. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Then he made an announcement. There will be a festival, festival to who? To the Lord, not the calf. He's saying, you can have a little bit of both. Early in the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, then got up to play. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once, for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. That's one of the most terrifying things that happens in the scriptures. Do you notice how God speaks differently? It was my people that I brought up from the land of Egypt. But in the moments that we don't want anything to do with God, if we repeatedly say, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, he'll give us what we want. God giving us what we want is one of the most terrifying realities and possibilities we can face. Go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an, an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God. They have forgotten who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Verse 18 uh, Moses is talking to Aaron and he hears this sound and then we read, it is not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. Singing is powerful. Verse 19, as he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Verse 25, Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control, resulting in weakness before their enemies. That sounds kind of mild. They were out of control, no big deal. Let me uh, gently tell you what's actually happening. This is total chaos. In a nutshell, everybody is just having sex with everybody when Moses gets down from the mountain. This is a moment of no control, no care for anybody. Whatever you see, go and get it. It's a disaster at the bottom of the mountain. And God looks down. Moses then looks down and says, this is horrendous. We were just saved from this God and this type of living that led to oppression in Egypt. And in just 40 days, what's happened? They do not remember and they have forgotten. And there's a gap and their worship because they're not worshiping Yahweh and they start to worship something else. In essence, what, what Moses is writing as Moses is the author of Exodus is that God's people have begun to prostitute themselves to other gods. And we can go, how could they do that? But if we're honest, do we not do the same? Do we not prostitute ourselves to the gods of comfort and control? or whatever it is that you feel you need? Do we not give sacrifices endlessly of our time and our money and our energy? Maybe you've sacrificed your family in pursuit of these things, these gods, these passions that we think will bring comfort and control, or whatever it is, pleasure that you happen to think is what is needed most. Every time there's a void in worship, 
we will fill it with something. And that something will always be a powerful God that will have a powerful impact in your life. I want to go back to uh, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2 that we started with. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods before me. It's one of the most uh, common phrases in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. I am the Lord your God. It's almost always actually followed by the term remember or the term do not forget. It's one of the most frequent commands in the Bible. Over 200 times the verb remember is used and almost always it is attached to what God has done, to what he's promised he will do, to who we were in our sin, or to who he has promised to make us. Over 200 times this remember verb is used. Why? Because we are really, really good, really, really quick to forget who God is and what he's done, to forget who we were and who he's promised to lead us to become. We are really quick to fill the gap of worship, not with worshiping our God, but with but with worshiping another powerful God. That's why God, Yahweh God, at the the very beginning, before they even arrive in the land he had promised, after he'd performed all these miracles and saved them, says, caution, beware. You will die. A price will be paid, not out of anger or wrath, but because the other gods you're worshiping and bowing down to and sacrificing to, and remember, we sacrifice to other gods just the same, they will make you pay. They will make promises that will always fall flat. So that that brings us to the, the question, what does this have to do with our liturgy, series, and worship, singing? Worship is just... One form of singing. Music is uh, one form of worship, I mean. It's an important one, though. It's powerful. What's the first thing that Israel does when they start to worship another God? They sing. I actually can't think of anything more powerful, any more powerful action, period, than singing that unites a people together in a quick moment. I was at, uh, I had shared at a, a Suns playoff game a couple of weeks ago, and the energy from 16,000 people was astonishing and wonderful, especially because they destroyed the Lakers. That was fun. I still, though, don't think it compares to a soccer match. Have ever seen or, or been to a soccer match? When I was in high school, we were in uh, Turkey, in Istanbul, and one night, it was the, the European Cup in the quarterfinal. And I kid you not, blocks and blocks and blocks in every direction was, or were just filled with a sea of people. There were fires and trash cans everywhere, massive TV screens, and then this song echoing through and vibrating the entire city was united by this game. I've still, to this day, never felt or experienced any energy like that. Our, our tour guides at that time said, hey, as long as the game's going on, be careful, but you can be outside. But if they win, do not go outside. It, it was intense. And one of the primary differences from that to a game here is the singing together. We worship in song. We're united in song. We remember and feel together in song. Now, I want to 
kind of close part of our time reading Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 17. As I read this, notice this. There's going to be a command from Paul to a church in a real place called Colossae, people like us, to remember some things, to remember who they were and who they're becoming, to remember who God is, what his character is, what he's done, and what he's doing. Colossians chapter 3. Listen for that call to remember as I read this. Paul says, again, the people like you and me. So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. That's who you were. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Here's who God is making us to be. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, God's chosen ones, this is what God has done. He's chosen, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's just one of the uh, 400 times the word sing is used in the scriptures, 50 of which, approximately 50, are a command to do so. Again, that must be significant. If 50 separate times we are told to sing, it doesn't say, hey, if you like the song, then you should sing. Or if you like the style of music, then you should sing. Or if you like the worship leader, then you should sing. It just says sing. What Paul is saying here is remember, do not forget, because we are all really good at forgetting what God has done and he's going to do. We're really good at filling the gap of worship with an, a powerful God that's actually going to harm us. He says don't do that. And one of the most powerful ways to remember, to not forget, is to sing and to sing together. So that's why what we do on a Sunday morning is critical. It's really important. It's actually a part of salvation and protection and defense against the lies of the enemy because we're reminded of the truths of who God is and there's power in that singing together. I want to close with just five kind of more detailed reasons that we're called to sing together. The first is this. Singing unites us 
as the body of Christ. This morning as we are here, we're a family. We are the body of Christ. We're not just individuals here together to receive from a religious vending machine we might call church on a Sunday morning. We are a family. And singing unites us as the body of Christ. We weren't meant to follow Jesus as individuals. We were meant to draw near to him together. Number two, singing helps us to remember who God is, what he has done, and what he will do who we were, and who we are. Again, because we're quick to forget. And the reality as I look out, as you look from side to side, who's here this morning, is each of you are in a different place. Right now, each of you are prone, just as I am, to forget a different one of those components about who God is or what he said about you or what he's doing in your life. And so a certain song that might not connect for you probably connects to someone else. And when we're a body working together, it's never just about you. Number three, singing can encourage members of the body who are struggling. Some of us have have walked in here limping today. Not physically, but spiritually or relationally or emotionally. And singing is healing. Singing is powerful in that way. Uh, Justin Unger and Josh James wrote this book, Do Likewise. We've uh, been partners with the Likewise Worship Collective. And uh, in one of the chapters, Josh, who's led worship here, is describing one of those seasons where he, he was limping spiritually, if you will. And he says this, lifting our voices together also lifts our hearts up in faith. I can remember a time on my college campus when I attended a worship service and didn't feel like singing. It was one of those difficult seasons where I just didn't feel like I had a song to lift up. So I stood there, surrounded by the voices of other believers. As I heard their collective voice, something happened in my heart. I wanted to sing again. I believed that God, or I believe that God was using the faith of others expressed in singing to light my own present darkness. You're not just singing for you because you're not just here for you. We're here together as a family and as the body of Christ. Number four, and I referenced that singing protects us from the lies, deceit, and distortion of Satan the deceiver. It only took 40 days for Israel to forget everything, to form a golden calf out of the gifts that God had given them to worship a different God. And we're no better. We're really quick to worship another God. Whenever there's a gap... Whenever there's a day and a moment we stop worshiping. Worship is all of life. It's how we conduct ourselves in our careers and our businesses and our parenting and how we uh, honor our parents, how we treat our neighbors. In the songs we sing, worship's all of life. But in singing, we're protected because we're not allowing a vacancy in worship. So when there's a vacancy and when there's a gap, it will be filled. Number five. Singing tells the story of how worthy our God is of worship and that he truly is the only one that is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. Singing's just worthy. Singing is just needed because worship is powerful. There's the the caution sign for you, like me in Hawaii getting a an alert on my phone or seeing a sign on the beach, you now have to decide how seriously you'll take that caution. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you that you truly are worthy of our worship. God, we don't even deserve your love and to know you and to worship you, but I thank you that we have the privilege to do that today and every day, today together as we sing songs, later as we're with the people we live with or next to, tomorrow as we work or go to school or whatever we do. May we worship you in all of our life. Holy Spirit, may you lead us to do that. May we proclaim songs and hymns and spiritual songs about how good and faithful and trustworthy you are. We look to you in all we do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship now in our response. And if you're new with us, we we do this every week. In in just a moment, the communion elements will be brought to this table. And every week we share that there's no proper response to the, the gospel, to God's love, other than to take communion, to know that he has paid the price for us, that we are united to Christ by the body and blood that he gave up for us. And so if you are a follower of Christ, uh, during this next song, we invite you to come and, and take communion. We also uh, respond today as in every Sunday in worship. So I encourage you to sing and to sing loud, to sing not just for yourself, but for those next to you. Uh, let's continue to worship in our response together this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, my name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration Church. And uh, if you would like to learn more about Restoration or listen to past teachings, please go to restorationaz.org. And uh, if you'd like to ask questions, click that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you, learn more about you, see how we could be praying for you and supporting you. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.